0: Stop. It is Hey,
1: Live from a place that's 70 degrees colder than Doha, Qatar, it's the 252. Sports Talk Radio is done by academics like me, Chris Garrett, And Sam Mulberry. And we're a man down again, Sam. Chris Moore is still not with us, so we're going to call in a sub off the bench. (laughs) He's working off that red card. That's right. We're going to call in a sub. (laughs) Another political scientist from Mm. our deep roster political scientist Andy Bramson. Welcome to the 252. Thank you. It's good to be here. This is actually, I guess, an Election Shock Therapy 252 crossover um, (laughs) uh, Bonanza. That's right. right. Something like that. Uh, Your first appearance on the 252, Andy. I think you'll pick it up soon enough. Uh, We don't duck the hard questions. Let me start with one. Uh, As someone who grew up in West Africa, what's it like to live in a place that gets a snowstorm and single-digit wind chills in November?
0: Well, it's you know it's good actually. I I got a lot of heat growing up. Uh, and I was I was kind of done with the heat, so I've enjoyed being in snowy. You're places. in the right place. Yeah, yeah. Yep, you, so. You've come here. Well, and you've spent time in places like Indiana. That's right. Not I had a totally little. I'm Indiana, it. Iowa, so I had a little warm up for them.
1: So we brought Andy in because he's an expert in several pertinent topics as we continue our three part mini series on how the World Cup, uh, the world's greatest sporting competition, certainly yep. the world's biggest yep. soccer tournament, can help us see a lot of topics, mm-hmm. including some of Andy's areas of expertise. Is like comparative politics, African politics, and maybe even the re- relationship between religion and politics, specifically mm-hmm. Islam. Mm-hmm. So we'll come back to that. In segment two, he'll be our interview guest, but we invite him to start with segment one, which is where we actually look back at the actual World Cup how uh, the first week or so has gone i 'll update some standings in our hippos tournament, Sam. I think we should check in we We recommended three to see last week, including two World Cup matches. Were they worth the watch
2: uh well you had you had recommended uh England versus u s a and uh as you say here, the colonists in quote win with a zero <laughs> zero draw over the mother country. Uh, that was a big win, actually. You know, mm-hmm. It was. It uh, uh, And it's one of those things that, you know, if you're uh, an, uh, an American sports fan who doesn't watch a lot of soccer, you might say, wow, it's a nil-nil draw. Like, But that's actually such a great result, and yeah. it, it, it's, it's so exciting. Yeah. Well, it was a pretty good game, too. I mean, mm-hmm.
1: Americans, mm-hmm. especially in the second half, were, I mean, it looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, no, it also meant then, the flip side, that they had to win their last match against Iran, which also was a pretty exciting game, right. which we did fortunately score a goal and go through and then your other pick was France versus
2: Denmark mm-hmm. uh, the French pull out a 2-1 uh, goal thanks or excuse me a 2-1 win thanks Sorry. to a goal from Kylian Mbappe two so, goals from a brace two, oh called. two okay I yeah. didn't I actually I didn't uh, I didn't watch that game so
1: it was really good I, I, I mean I no, I have other thoughts about Denmark because they ended up not going through. They had a yeah. really disappointing yeah. tournament generally, yeah. but um, that was actually a really interesting game. They had tied it, and then Mbappe mm-hmm. scored late, and in France, actually qualified after the second match.
2: I love when when uh, when like a star sh- shows up and does what they're supposed to do in one of these games <laughs> because as a as like a, a completely like novice dilettante fan who doesn't really pay attention, like I'm told a guy like that is supposed to be good. And then when you see them actually do it, you're like, oh, I do notice that they're better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, You can tell. My, my, my favorite player ever was uh, Zinedine Zidane. And like, you could watch him not score goals and be like, this guy is controlling an entire game. And Mm -hmm. so, so like, I, I love whenever you see a
1: star show up. So Sam just described himself as a kind of dilettante when it comes to soccer, football. Andy, how would you describe your level of fandom knowledge of the the sport of football, as the rest of the world calls it?
0: You know, so I'm sort of a selective fan Mm -hmm. in the sense that I I tune into these things once every four years, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not the kind of person who, like, follows European leagues. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't get into that. Um, But I do follow the World Cup and then, to some degree, the African Cup as well, from having grown up in Senegal, so. Sure. So
1: has there been something that stood out from the beginning of the World Cup so far? A match, a
0: result... Uh, one team's performance or lack of performance? Well, there have been a couple of surprising upsets. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't get a ton of upsets in the World Cup. And so one was very disappointing because I'm married to an MK from Argentina, and they got beaten by Saudi Arabia, which was, I think has to rank really oh, high on the list of upsets. Amazing. I mean, today you have Tunisia taking down France, which France didn't need it, so that doesn't make it quite as significant, mm-hmm. but still, big win. Um, So there have been several kind of surprising results, and of course Japan taking out Germany was a big one as well.
2: Well, that's actually one that in in terms of, you know, kind of disappointments. We talked in the last episode how this is not the best German team, but did you know that this is the 20th World Cup that Germany has been in, and they have never not won a game in a World Cup, so they haven't won in their first two, so this last game is big. Uh, they If they walk out without a win, it'll be their first time ever. And, and we should make st- clear, we're
1: recording this kind of midday on Wednesday. So right, groups right. A, B, and D are complete. Group C, which includes Argentina, they're right. playing Poland, I think. They will start will during our afternoon. podcast. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and then Germany is coming up in a day or yeah. two.
2: Um,
1: so we'll, we'll actually preview a couple yeah. more matches before we mm-hmm. before we wrap up. Did, did,
2: you, did either of you have a, a favorite game that you've seen?
0: Well, I mean, mine is probably less about the kind of excellence of the game and more about who I root for. So I enjoyed watching Senegal and Ecuador yesterday. I mean, we qualified for the round of 16. Um, We, you know, scored early or in the first half, and then we gave up a goal, which was crushing, and then three minutes later, we kind of got back on top and held on. So that was my favorite. I'm not sure. I don't think it was like objectively the best game of the Cup so far, but it was great for me.
1: I definitely want to talk more about African football with Andy. I'd say, like, I really appreciate the close, tight games like those we've already mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. Another though, which is entirely the opposite, like watching Spain dismantle Costa Rica, oh man, sure. it felt terrible for the Costa Ricans and good that they actually bounced back with a yeah, win, but like, if you want to see some beautiful football being played like what Spain was doing even after bringing in substitutes yeah. was just kind of miraculous to watch. Yeah.
2: Uh, I would say my favorite was, uh, it has to do with the circumstances. So this was on Thanksgiving as we were cooking and getting yep. ready. Um, we were also watching the Portugal Ghana game, mm-hmm. which was nil-nil oh, nil to yeah. the 65th minute. And then there were five goals in yep. the last 25 minutes, uh, including a Cristiano Ronaldo goal. So again, I like to see stars do what they're supposed yep. to do. Yep. So uh, And and especially the the second Ghana goal, which ju- which made it three too. It's not like it was even an equalizer, right. but like just to show like, okay, we're in this, you know, yeah, we can yeah. and you know and, and it makes the end a little bit more exciting. So right. that was fun to have on in the other room and keep running out when I would hear something happen.
0: Yeah, and the Ghanaians almost stole the tie yeah. because the Portuguese goalie made that mistake mm-hmm. He put the ball down and didn't realize the Ghanaian <laughs> was behind him. I was like, ah so close.
1: <laughs> I, I'll admit I probably have this group probably the most intense soccer fan. I actually do follow a couple of European <laughs> leagues yep. and so but I, I I do feel like this has been pretty watchable mm-hmm. I mean if I can mm-hmm. see this through the eyes of like I was at my in-laws for Thanksgiving and they'd kind of pop in and they they don't care about side, but right. they would watch like it's I mean, if your notion of soccer is this kind of tedious affair where nothing Mm -hmm. happens, Mm -hmm. like I actually think it's been pretty high-level competition Mm -hmm. to this point. Maybe better than what I expected um, for the group stage. Good. Um, Speaking of the group stage, there's another competition happening in parallel. It's not in parallel. It's connected to this. Within our department at Bethel, the HIPPOS, History, Philosophy, and Political Science, we did invite faculty, students, and a couple of faculty kids to take (laughs) part in a kind of World Cup challenge. So it's, it's a complicated bracket if you're used to March Madness, because we don't have a knockout round for a little while yet. Now, that doesn't start till Saturday, and so there's a group stage where you can get points, too. Um, This at FIFA.com. They have not actually updated the points, but I can see everyone's brackets, so I Mm -hmm. went through and calculated the points. The way this works is that you get five points for each nation that finishes in the spot you predicted for it. In the group stage. So you can actually get five points if you predicted that Qatar would be the worst team in group A. And that if you predict all four, you get three bonus points. Yep. So 23 points available per group. We finished three groups as of this morning. And right now we have a tie for first place between our other political scientist, Ooh. Matt Cookham. With 56 points, and history and missional ministries major and Bethel soccer captain, Will Swanda, also with 56. Well, how appropriate. So they had <laughs> identical groups. They both yep. were perfect in group A and B, and then they got group D right, except they flipped Australia and Denmark, because Australia, sure. surprisingly, sure. is going through the knockout stages. Yep. Uh, I should confess that I have 38 points out of 50 (laughs) of that. Uh, Chris Moore is a little ahead of me with 43, and Dr. Ramson, you're at 30 right now. yeah. But we're not even halfway through all the groups, so this will change by the time we hit the uh, round of 16 on Saturday. All right. Well, that's that's our quick introduction to what's been happening in the World Cup. I know we're your go-to resource for FIFA World Cup 2022 (laughs) analysis. But let's take a break. We're winded. We need to rest. Uh, we're gonna come back and talk to you, Andy, about African politics and uh, maybe why Qatar is an interesting choice to host this particular World Cup. This week in sports history, Glasgow, Scotland, November 30th, 1872. In the very first international soccer match, Scotland hosts England in front of 4,000 fans. On a pitch made muddy by days of rain, the game ends in a nil-nil draw, but Scotland will win eight of the next ten matches against their arch rivals.
2: Montreal, Quebec, December 2nd, 1995. Canadiens coach Mario Tremblay leaves his three-time Vanzina-winning goalie Patrick Waugh in the game, as the Red Wings score goal after goal against him, nine in all, Waugh demands a trade and is sent to Colorado, where he leads
1: the Avalanche to their first Stanley Cup. Melbourne, Australia, December 4, 1985. An unseated Yugoslav named Slovodan Zivlyinovich defeats American tennis star John McEnroe in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, making 1985 the first year since 1978 that McEnroe doesn't win a single majors title. Baltimore,
2: Maryland, December 1st, 1954. The Orioles and Yankees finished the largest trade in Major League history, with 17 players changing hands. Two years later, one of the new Yankees, Don Larson, will pitch the only perfect game in World Series history.
1: to This Week in Sports History. Welcome back to segment two of this uh, second of three World Cup related episodes of the 252. Chris Moore mm-hmm. will join us next week, but I can't think of a better person actually to bring in at this point than Andy. Uh, so, Andy Bramson, you teach comparative politics at right. Bethel. You teach a class on religion and politics, among other things, mm-hmm. and of course on African politics. Right. And I want to start there because you've already alluded to the fact that you've spent a significant uh, a chapter of your life in Africa, yep. and you have a particular favorite nation in this World Cup. Can you just say a little? bit, uh, maybe even about your upbringing or from a distance, like what does what does football mean to Senegal in particular yeah. and maybe more broadly to Africa?
0: Yeah, it's it's huge. I mean, I think one of the things I always note about football is it's just such an accessible sport. I mean, anybody can play it as long as you have a ball, right? So I grew up in Senegal as a missionary kid. My folks moved there when I was a year old. And ironically, I kind of got into the soccer and almost more through American sports. We came on furlough when I was 10 and my dad kind of taught my brother and I about American sports, you know, baseball, American football. Um, And then when we went back to Senegal, we really more tuned in to the whole sports um, kind of thing. And so we started watching um, the African cup in 92 and then the world cup in 94 and started playing a little bit more. But I mean, soccer, you just see it all over in the streets. People are literally playing in the streets um, just ball, stones for goals, and, you know, that's it. And so when the national team plays, I mean, it's just – it is a national event. I mean, people, you know, will find a TV, or if they can't find a TV, you find a radio, and everyone's inside. You go out on the streets, and it's dead. <laughs> and then after the game, you know, if you if things go the way you hope, mm-hmm. um, you come out and celebrate. And I was just telling my students this morning in short of comparative, I mean, like, you almost don't have to watch the game to know the score. Mm-hmm. You just listen to the neighborhood, right? Because if they score, you'll hear the cheers, and if they give up a goal – you'll hear the groans
1: now did you play football yourself what kind of a play just were pick you? up
0: i'm not a good soccer player i do still play for fun I and mean, we have a group from our church actually here and we get together during the summers. so during those warm seasons which are short as you alluded to earlier Um uh, we get together and we play and it's fun and i'm you know, I can I can manage the ball a little bit, but I'm not a good soccer player and I never have been. I'm not much of an athlete. No you, Academics is a good career. <laughs> right.
1: No, no, you were there as part of a Christian mission right. enterprise. Was that's that right.
0: actually I mean was sports part of what
1: you were doing or is it unrelated to it?
0: It was pretty unrelated, although I will say since I left, um, you know, they have kind of worked to build some some kind of more physical spaces where people do in fact do mm-hmm. more sports. So that's there's been more of that since I'm I've been gone.
1: Because okay, historically, I mean I emilie's mean I know a few other countries better. Like, I know the story mm-hmm. of Rwanda pretty well. Sure. I mean, in Rwanda, sure. soccer was brought mostly by Catholic missionaries. Yep. And this is often the story you hear. Like, this mm-hmm. was a kind of a British or a European yep. import, often funneled through right. missionaries. Um, and yet it becomes the national sport of post-colonial Senegal yeah. or Rwanda. Right. Is I mean, is that attention that people talk about or are aware of? Is is it liberating to be able to beat Europeans at their own game? How do, how yeah. do they think about the kind of imperial history of soccer and football?
0: You know, I think like as is common with sports, right? People just enjoy the sports mm. for the sports' sake, and so I think that that is the focus. And yes, it is particularly sweet if you can beat the Europeans, which is why I was kind of excited about Tunisia taking down France, even though France was starting like nine backups today, right? I mean, it's a big deal. And even though the Tunisians are going to fly home and they're out of the tournament... They'll remember that win for pretty much forever. Um, when we took down France, we beat Senegal mm-hmm. in the 2002 World Cup. I mean, that was just an epic victory and probably our favorite moment. Even though we've had a you know an overtime win in kind of the elimination rounds, right? It's just it was a big deal. But I think you know on the whole, I mean, the sports becomes it's, it's something that unifies the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think you think about its kind of antecedents as much. Sure, um, I
1: mean, it is interesting to watch even those matches. Like oh, yeah. on the French team, you have players of. African descent, or their totally. parents are. I mean, Italy. we have mentioned Mbappe, we have mentioned Zinedine, who yep. is I think Algerian. Algerian, but yep. Paul Pogba is not mm-hmm. playing. Many of them yep. actually qualify for both teams and have yep. to make a choice, right, between right. France and Senegal yep. or France and Tunisia. Yep.
0: yep, and even on our own American team, you see this. I mean, our goal scorer in the first game was Wei, yeah. whose father is literally the president <laughs> of a foreign country of Liberia, right? So, and was himself a soccer star back when I was, you know, when I was a kid.
1: Now, I, I know you particularly closely follow Senegal, but how have the other African sides been doing? You
0: mentioned Tunisia, that was. Mm-hmm. Their best result of the tournament. They it didn't was. go through,
1: but to yeah. beat France was sweet.
0: But four points is a solid yeah. performance. Um, you know, better than I expected, honestly. I you know, I had Senegal going through to the second round, so we made it and that was good. But um, Morocco has looked really strong mm-hmm. and they've almost gotten kind of a home field advantage thing going on where the Qatari fans seem to be really in their corner um, they had a lot of energy on that game against Belgium which was another fun upset um, so they've been looking good um, Ghana's looked better than expected mm-hmm. they have a shot um, and Cameroon. you know Cameroon is in a tough group I mean they're going to be out but but they've They've been, you know, fighting They had a fun match against Serbia. So, yeah. Three goals. Yeah. Exactly. So they've all, you know, had their moments. I yeah. feel like. Now is it? I, th- I think this
1: is right. No African nation has ever made the semifinals Correct. of the World Cup. Correct. You're going to talk about this later, I think, because there was there was a close yeah. call once, right?
0: They've all all three that have made the quarterfinals have been close. I mean, okay. they were all overtime losses. So yeah, this yeah.
1: sports is a way that nations, maybe continents, measure themselves mm-hmm. against each other. Is that something that? Others africans or is this a way of measuring development or growth or status in a way or, or are we overthinking things too much
0: we probably are overthinking it a little bit from their perspective yeah. i mean it's it's a game and you celebrate the moment of victory and mm-hmm. you know I, I was thinking about this yesterday celebrating senegal and ecuador um the, that result because i thought you know this is a great moment we're all excited and i'm in my basement cheering and i know the nation of senegal is erupting right and yet, the reality is—I mean, like, you know—the odds are we'll lose on Sunday, and if we don't lose on Sunday, we'll lose probably the next game, right? So you know, like it's probably not going to end in triumph on December eighteenth, yeah. but you still celebrate that moment. That sure. moment is a sweet moment, and and it's like it's it's a, kind of a metaphor for life in some ways. I mean, you know, our, our lives, we celebrate these moments, and yet we know that the pain and the suffering and ultimately death will come to us, right? Yeah. So, in that, in that sense, that's very, I think, in keeping with how Africans think about the world, and at least the people I grew up with. You know, it's just, life is what it is, but you take the good moments when they come. So.
1: Well, it is it is something you share with the community mm-hmm. as well. absolutely. I mean, either kind of around the world or yep. in a yep. certain place, or as you watch on yep. TV, it's, it yep. is powerful that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. another landmark moment we should mention is Africa has hosted a World Cup. It was 2010 in South yep. Africa, right? Yep. Um this year we've made another kind of history. Qatar is the first Middle Eastern country to host mm-hmm. World Cup, the first Arab right. country, and I think the first majority Muslim country to host the so. yep. World Cup. And so it's interesting you mentioned Morocco almost having a mm. home field advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you know anything about the relationship? I, I thought I'd read that like they're Moroccan guest workers in Qatar or is it's just a sort of affinity across
0: ethnicity or yeah. religion it's a good question i don't know that I'm, I'm not up on the details of qatar but i will say i think probably so probably part of it is the workers there but i think the bigger thing is just affinity i mean like this a fellow arab muslim nation you have you know you're culturally closer i mean so for the same reason that you'll find probably more americans rooting for england than spain right i mean we just feel a sense of connection mm-hmm. with them um and so therefore you kind of you know you jump on their their side if it's you know if it's morocco versus belgium right yeah um that's kind of an, an obvious choice so i think there's there's the that kind of um, affinity um, that's that's there.
1: Okay. Well, as as so as a soccer fan, but yep. also now maybe as a uh, someone who teaches comparative politics. Someone who teaches a class not just on religion and politics in the mm-hmm. U.S., which you teach now, but I know you right. also study, for example, Islam and politics right. in Africa and maybe in the Middle right. East too. Like, what are, what have been your takeaways of what what's often been seen as a controversial choice of Qatar for hosting? Sure. Like, uh, either how you've seen that covered, how you've yeah. seen Qatar respond to it. What what has stood out to you about the Qatari World Cup so far?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's in a way, it's kind of disappointing. I think for the for the Muslim world um, because. There are Muslim nations that are strong soccer countries, right, and that have strong soccer tradition. And it would have been nice to see one of them get the World Cup. I mean, so you think of countries like Turkey or Mm -hmm. Morocco, for Mm -hmm. that matter, or even Egypt, right? Um, You know, I think it'd be hard to imagine Saudi Arabia or Iran hosting a cup, but they have much stronger soccer traditions, right? So, um, you know, I think Qatar was an odd choice in that respect. It's small. It had no soccer tradition, really. And this is their first World Cup. And as we all saw, that didn't work out very well for them, (laughs) right? They're the worst kind of result of any host nation ever. Um, So I think, you know, that's disappointing because you're saying here's a Muslim nation hosting for the first time, but it doesn't look very good. And of course, there were all the the human rights issues as well. Um, you know, some of the things have been predictable. I mean, like the sort of conflicts over alcohol, right? Should we sell beer in the stadium? But even there, like, be consistent, right? I mean, don't pull the the right to do that a few days before the cup starts, right? I think, again, that just doesn't make things look good. And then it feeds this narrative of, I mean, how did Qatar get the cup? It's pretty clear corruption was involved, right? So, um, you know, that's unfortunate. Like, you, you wish it could have been just sort of clean like yeah. like morocco go, or you know turkey got awarded the cup because they're actually a good host which right. i think either of them could be
1: it was int- a, a few days before the cup started the new york times ran an op-ed piece by an arab historian named abdullah al-aryan who mm-hmm. teaches i think at georgetown has a campus mm-hmm. okay. in, in qatar and it was interesting to see him wrestle with it like he didn't mm-hmm. want to like he had to admit this is a weird choice <laughs> There are human rights issues. Right. But he right. said, but you know, I hope we're asking these same questions mm-hmm. when a Western mm-hmm. nation owes or when a sure. South American for nation or sure. Asian. Yeah. But he actually made the case in the op that this this is an important moment for the Middle mm-hmm. East, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And part of what he said was, as in Africa, this was something yeah. brought in by Europeans. Right. Uh, and so to be able to host something shows mm-hmm. it kind of like you've reached a moment on the world stage or you've reached right. a moment in history right. where you're capable of doing this. Yep. Even maybe have been stronger if it hadn't been this particular host.
0: Right, right. But I mean, in, in some ways they pulled it off. I mean, the stadiums yeah. look good. You know, they, you know, the, it seems like the tech, you know, the kind of details are working out fairly well, right? So, um, yeah, I think in that sense, um, that's true. But it's just, yeah, it, it, this particular choice was, was certainly fraught. I mean but I think that that response is also fair, right? I mean mm-hmm. we critique them for all these like all the terrible human rights things were done to get you know, to get things ready in time, right? And it's like you know, and, and the the kind of Muslim world looks and says, wait, what did you do to us, right? I mean, like, what kinds of things were done to us so that you could accomplish your goals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not all that different. I mean, maybe they're different in the time period they were in. Right. But it feels weird to sort of say, oh, now we're going to be all judgmental about what you've done when, in fact, we did similar things to you.
1: I mean, it seems like it taps into larger conversation. Like, we both mm-hmm. have taught a class on human rights and international history. Right. And I know when right. I taught it, we, we would spend some time in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. You talk about mm-hmm. debates within the Muslim world about yep. human rights. Yeah. And I think there there is this sort of understandable wariness of Western critiques or Christian critiques of human mm-hmm. rights in that part of the world, right. where Muslims want to say, "Well, we don't have to go too back far in your own history. Like this, this is rather hypocritical right. if you do this," or yep. to say, "Well, it's not your business to tell mm-hmm. us this," or mm-hmm. "This reflects a certain right. cultural value that isn't consistent yep. with maybe your idea of the place of women, right, or yep. of or of the place right. of sexual minorities, right,
0: I mean. totally." Totally, and and again, I mean, we get that in Africa too. You know, I remember Obama coming to Senegal and and kind of chastising the Senegalese president for how they were handling LGBTQ people, and that was basically the Senegalese president's response: is you're imposing your cultural values. You have a particular understanding of this. We disagree. We're Muslims, right? We think about this very differently than your kind of you know secular leaning kind of Western society, Um, and. I think that's a very, very fair point, all the more so because, I mean, who, you know, in many of these countries, like, who brought in these these kinds of, you know, values and structures? I mean, it was actually the West, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get, the, especially in, like, Christian Africa, where you get people pushing back and saying, you taught us this, right? You taught us this faith, and now we're holding on to what you taught us, and now you're saying you're changing the rules? I right. mean, that's really weird. <laughs> Got the other, I mean, not unexpected, but it's
1: interesting to watch the other sort of Middle East, broadly construed Muslim mm-hmm. world, Um controversy I guess is about Iran right so Iran has historically a pretty good soccer tradition its team's been Mm -hmm. very competitive Mm -hmm. they very narrowly lost the United States had they tied they would have gone through right right um but in the midst of all that, there's been this long down duration protest, especially mm-hmm. over women's rights in mm-hmm. Iran. It's, there have been people in prison, death right. sentences, I think, now yeah. levied. Yeah. Uh, a couple of former uh, Iranian national team members have been arrested yeah. as part of the protest. And at least my recollection was in the first match, the Iranian players did not sing the national anthem. Mm-hmm. And then the second time, saying it maybe uh, half heartedly, <laughs> <Do you have laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if Iran is a country you spend much time looking at. Have you paid attention to that to that aspect? just
0: a just a little bit. I mean, it's an ongoing tension there, and it's interesting with Iran because on the one hand, it's this kind of the- theocratic government. Mm-hmm. um they have this religious leader who can basically veto you know whatever he wants to. Um, and so there's this really like this taking Islamic law to a very you know very far down the path, right in terms of like what how it relates to government. Um, and on the other hand, there is this tradition of protest. I mean, yeah. much more so than you would be able to see probably in places like Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it's interesting, and it, it suggests. I mean, like kind of going into political science stuff for a second here. Right? It's it suggests that when you inculcate kind of um, democratic values and you put in democratic practices, which Iran does because they have elections and they elect their president and they elect their legislature. That matters. That that actually shapes people's expectations of we should be able to say things. Um, and that begins to shape some kind of democratic value, even though, of course, the Ayatollah has, you know, kind of the trump card against any of the democratic processes that he really wants to.
1: Well, and it connects so easily then to sports because yeah. what is sports if not a mass gathering yep. of people that often, you know, it, it's it's a venue for expressing <laughs> collective sentiment, yep. right? Like totally. it really can have this totally. form. Um, it, it's been interesting to read some of the coverage. I'm not an expert on this, but one thing that stood out from reading is there's a difference between the nation and the state. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so what does that team represent? You know, what, what's actually Ooh, yeah. happened is there's been criticism of the team for being stooges of a regime mm, by mm. dissenters, in, including like uh, expats living in the United States. Um, and if you go to Iranian matches, like in France, there's this kind of dissident yeah. anti-government faction that will protest at Iranian matches. Uh, and, and so, what does the team represent? Right. It, can it represent the Iranian people? Right. If so, does it have to stand in solidarity with protesters? But yep. it's also under a soccer federation that's controlled by the government <laughs> to some. Way. It's a very yeah. interesting dynamic for those athletes to be put into. Um, if you really want to read more about this, I had forgotten this until this morning. But if you haven't read this or want to revisit it, the American journalist Franklin Foer, about 18 years ago, wrote a book called "How Soccer Explains the World." Oh, yeah. And at yeah. least at the time, it was kind yeah. of in the midst of globalization right. talk and he's he's since yeah. revised a little bit but one of the last chapters is actually about iran and it starts with iranian yeah. women demanding the right to attend soccer matches and it, yeah. it's fascinating because soccer was this thing that was brought in under the shah it was part mm-hmm. of his modernization campaign right right and it was controversial the yeah. uh, um, theocrats opposed it because among other things you're not supposed to show bare legs right right, right. Uh, and then there was this kind of gradual yep. accommodation with it. It became a way of kind of representing the nation and yep. standing up to the West and defeating yep. the Americans, right, yep. in 1998. Yep. But it's always been this kind of interesting political hot potato in yeah. Iran before and after the the 79 yeah. revolution. So look up Franklin Fowler if you want to a little, little bit more about that. Nice. Um, I'll share some links in my blog to what we've talked about. Uh, Andy, thanks for giving us some insight yeah, into absolutely. some of the politics of this this, as always, interesting World Cup. We'll be back in a second to wrap up with three more things to see this coming week.
2: Get in touch with the show by emailing us at channel 3900 at gmail.com.
1: Okay. before we let Andy Bramson go, he's going to take part in three to see. This is where we suggest three sporting events to watch in the coming week. Uh, He and I are going to start with a couple more group stage matches. This will wrap up on Friday and then Sam will weigh in with
0: something that's not World Cup related. Okay, Andy, I'll let you go first as our guest. Okay, thank you. Um, So my pick is Ghana and Uruguay on Friday. And as we noted earlier, an African team has never, ever made it to the semifinals of the World Cup. But all of the three that have gone to the quarterfinals have come agonizing close, agonizingly close. And none really came closer than Ghana, which was the most recent team to make it in 2010. So it was the first World Cup held in the African continent, as we um, recognized earlier. And in the 120th minute, so the very end of overtime, Ghana kicked a ball on goal. It was going in, uh, beating the goalie. But the Uruguayan striker, Luis Suarez, blocked it um, at the last minute with his hands. Um, so he rightly received a red card. He was sent off for his conduct. And Gano got a penalty kick. So all they had to do was make the penalty kick to win the game. They missed it. The game went to a penalty kick shootout, which Ghana then lost. Um, and so this was like they're are agonizingly close to the <laughs> going to the semifinals. On the continent, and we didn't do it. Um, so this Friday, Ghana and Uruguay are meeting again. There's a trip to the round of 16 on the line. Um, Uruguay is the favored team. They're considered to be stronger. Ghana's been better than expected, and they don't have to win. They just need a tie to move on to the round of 16. So there's, I think, plenty of drama there. But in case you need just a little bit more, Luis Suarez is still on the Uruguayan team. And he's expected to start. So enjoy. And It's his
1: last World Cup. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, between them, Belgium and Croatia have fewer inhabitants the 21 other nations in the World Cup field. But both are perennial soccer powers. Croatia finished second in 2018 in Russia. And one member of this podcast crew picked Belgium to do the same thing this year, <clears throat> only to watch them sleepwalk their way to third place in their group. If Belgium's so-called golden generation is going to make it to the next round, they need goalie Thibaut Courtois to show the kind of form that made him man of the match in the 2022 Champions League final and Kevin De Bruyne to make passes like those that won Manchester City, the Premier League, on the final day of the 2021-22 season. All right. uh, You guys did a good job of picking two football matches to see.
2: But you're missing the biggest football match of this week. <laughs> this Saturday, December third, in Belton, Texas, number three Mary Hardin Baylor hosts number thirteen Bethel University. Mm-hmm. Heard of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the quarterfinals of the Division three football playoffs, this is the knockout stages. So it's winner go home. <laughs> Bethel is led by super senior quarterback and MAIC Offensive Player of the Year Jaron Rosty, mm-hmm. and emerging freshman running back David Jeebley, who's coming off back to back hundred yard games in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Can Bethel beat the perennial powerhouse Mary Harden Baylor? Well, the Royals have already defeated two teams ranked in the final pre-playoff top five, St. John's and Linfield. Do you know what happens when you beat two top five teams? You establish yourself as a team that beats top five teams. For a full breakdown of the Royals' big game, listen to the Navy Vegas podcast available on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Go Royals. All right.
1: Royals. Well, thanks, Sam. We'll pay attention to that one. Best of luck to Ghana and to Senegal as they move forward. Andy, thanks for joining us and adding thanks another podcast me. to your list on your on your CV. All right. We will hope to have Chris Moore back next week. Uh, listeners, if you have thoughts, predictions, etc., Sam, where do they send their email? Uh, channel 3900 at gmail.com. Okay. We have one more episode to go in our series. Thanks for listening. Until next time, go Royals.